You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Wow, is it ever great to be with you today. (laughs) The Apostle Paul wrote about a church that he loved. He said, I thank my God every time I think of you. And that is how my wife Michelle and I feel about you. We thank our God every time we think about you. And we're so grateful. I'm so happy to be here today. Um, I first want to thank your pastor, George Hinman, for inviting me to be with you today. I'm so grateful to him. And uh, before I begin my sermon, I wanted to simply say thank you to this community. Um, My words are going to be completely inadequate for how I feel. But um, when I became a quadriplegic, I lost just about everything, and you have carried me to Jesus Christ. And I and my family are so grateful. You have shared your finances with us. There was an amazing benefit concert in October. And when I came in and to see all the great cloud of witnesses surround me and just look at me with piercing love of Christ, it was, it was a day I'll never forget. And uh, there are people who I don't even know from this congregation who love my little boys and sent them to King's School. I don't even know who paid for it, um, but, but gave them uh, some healing as well. You shared your possessions with me. There was you know, a man who gave uh, his uh, wheelchair-accessible van uh, to us. Um, you've shared your time, your talents. There, there are uh, physical therapists who have donated their time, um, you know, doing yard work, moving, and um, you've shared your prayers. Um, you've shared your encouragement. Um, my amazing wife writes this blog on a website called Hope for Steve, and with every posting, people send comments, and we read every single one of them. We read all the guest book. And I was reading it just the other day, and I just wept. I just wept with joy. could hardly believe um, this lo- outpouring of love. I just feel so cared for by you. Um, and, of course, most importantly, your prayers. And there is not a Sunday that goes by that I'm here where I don't hear from a little child in this congregation who says, you know, I've been praying for you every day. Every day. Unbelievable. We feel so blessed. And of course, there's no way to thank you well enough, but it's our prayer that you who have given would receive the promise of Isaiah 58.8. And it says, when, when those who give in service to others, that when you give in service to others, then your light will shine like the dawn and your healing will come quickly. That's our prayer for you is that you would experience the healing power of Christ. So, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's dig right into the sermon. We're going to be studying Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus heals a paralytic. (laughs) I chose this verse for obvious reasons. On June 17th, last summer, I was in a catastrophic motorcycle accident. I broke my neck, and I suffered a nearly complete spinal cord injury. I was paralyzed 
from my shoulders down. 10% chance of any meaningful movement, but even less to ever walk again, maybe less than 1% to walk again. So, as a paralyzed man, I was drawn to this passage, for I long for the healing power of Jesus Christ in my life. And I've been thinking about paralysis. And while I am miraculously walking, um, I still suffer from paralysis. My hands aren't moving well, my legs, especially my left. I can't feel hot or cold, or, and it's completely numb from my shoulders down. Um, there, there are many ways that the paralysis, I still live with paralysis. I'm still hoping for full recovery. But as I've thought about that, per, being paralyzed isn't, you're not paralyzed and then not, or not paralyzed. There are degrees of paralysis. And we all suffer from some degree of paralysis. Um, whether it's an inability to move or act because of stress. Um, an inability to move uh, because of the fear that you might have, or uh, maybe a work-related problem, maybe uh, an inability to move with your finances, or a relational conflict where you know, you're just stuck and you're unable to move in it. We all suffer in some degree from paralysis, so we all can bring our lives to the heart of this message today. Today... We're going to see a paralyzed man get healed by Jesus through the faith of some friends. And this word of God has been healing for me. And it's my prayer that it will be healing for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us today. And there's no coincidence that we're here. You Our living God brought us here for a reason. You want to share a message with us. So we pray that you would anoint us, empower us, and fill us with your living Holy Spirit that we might have a direct encounter with you, our living God. For we know, Jesus, you are at the very center of this church. And so we long to hear from you and experience your healing power in our lives. Pray you would bless us and open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. We're we're studying Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read through this, and then we'll come back into it. Starting in verse 1, and feel free to follow along, and there's a Bible in your pews. When he returned, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And I do want to underline Capernaum because here, this is not a story. This is an event that took place in real time. Capernaum is on the north shore of Galilee. I've been there twice. You can go there today. You can see Peter's mother-in-law's house. You can can go see the stones where Jesus was in the synagogue where he healed. This took place in real time. Time. It's not a story. It's an, an event rooted in history. And I love to remind us of this. And then in verse 2, it says, So many gathered around that there was no room for them, not even in front of the door. He was speaking the word to them. You see, Jesus is a great teacher. 
He's a brilliant teacher, and people came from all over the world to hear him preach. So it's no surprise that on a day like today, when he was preaching, no one could get in. Everyone was drawn to him and hanging on his words. He's absolutely brilliant, and people wanted to be with him and hear him. And so it was very crowded that day. Then in verse 3, Then some people came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. Well, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. Why does this fellow talk, speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and immediately took his mat and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This passage, we see the healing ministry of Jesus. And we meet three people who have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I'd like us to take a look at those three encounters with Jesus Christ. We, we meet the paralyzed man. We see an encounter between the scribes and Jesus. And then we see an encounter between the friends of the paralytic and Jesus himself. I want to see what we can learn from each of these three encounters. So the first encounter, the paralyzed man. Let's take a look at this scene. A paralyzed man was brought to Jesus. Now, I'm assuming that he was brought to Jesus because he wanted physical healing. Wouldn't you think so? Yet, Jesus says, well, son... Your sins are forgiven. Now, I can relate to this paralyzed man. After my accident, as you know, I was paralyzed completely from my shoulders down. I couldn't even feed myself. I couldn't move. And when you're paralyzed, you desperately want to walk again. So, if I were to put myself in the shoes of this paralyzed man, and if I were to have heard Jesus say... Son, your sins are forgiven. I might have thought something like this. Well, thank you. <laughs> but what I really want is to walk. Yet Jesus does not heal him in the way that he wanted to be healed. You see, 
He wanted physical healing, but Jesus wanted something deeper. And isn't it amazing and should not be missed that this man received forgiveness from his sins without asking for it and without repenting? It is total grace given to this paralyzed man. Total grace. And what this moment, this encounter, is really pointing us to is that Jesus fundamentally wants to heal us in the deepest way possible. He fundamentally wants to heal us in the deepest way possible. And it is a healing that we all have access to because he has already accomplished it. It's already for us. Jesus wants to heal us in the deepest parts of who we are. He wants to heal us in our very heart. You know, there's a great illustration of Jesus' desire to heal us deeply. And it comes from uh, the book from the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Don Treader by C.S. Lewis. Now, I'm assuming that this congregation is pretty familiar with this story. <laughs> but any truly great story is worth repeating. If you remember, there's King Caspian, Lucy, Edmund, and then their cousin Eustace, We're on this ship. They're on a sailing adventure to uh, rescue seven lords who have been banished from the kingdom. Well, um, Eustace is a character that you just love to hate, right? He's whiny, spoiled, selfish. And one day, they landed on this island, and the crew was all out working, Well, Eustace didn't want to work. He didn't think he needed to work. So he kind of uh, escaped, went up into uh, into the mountain, and he came across a cave, and he saw a dragon die. He went into the cave and discovered there's this great treasure. So he's like in awe, picking all this treasure up. He puts a bracelet on his arm, and, and he thinks to himself, of course, Eustace would do this, how can I get this treasure onto the boat without anyone else knowing, because I want it all for myself, right? Well, he falls asleep on the treasure, and if you remember what happened, Eustace becomes a dragon. And then he's in a terrible mess. He, he begins to feel lonely. He, he is maybe kind of like my fingers are now, had that gnarled feeling. Um, he was in great pain because of the squeezing of the bracelet. He didn't like the scales, and he was starting to feel lonely. He didn't want to be a dragon anymore. Well, it was in one moment when Eustace, as the dragon, actually makes a selfless act. And in that selfless act, where he gave of himself, he meets the great lion, Aslan, the Christ figure. And Aslan said comes to him and leads him to to a well. He says, you need to take a bath. So he says, but you first must undress. So Eustace starts, the dragon starts peeling off these scales and he puts it down and he dips his toe into the well, tries to, and he sees that his leg is still a dragon's leg. So he does it a second time and uh, does the same thing. He's still a dragon. He does it a third time, kind of like peeling a banana. He was peeling off, but he's still a dragon. No matter how much he tries to heal himself, he just can't get healed. Well, then the great Aslan 
says, it is I who must undress you. And he, he, he has Eustace lay on his back, which is a position I've been familiar with over the last ten months. And the great Aslan takes his claws and digs right what Eustace said felt like to his very heart. And he ripped those scales right off of him. And then Aslan, the great lion, throws him into the pool. It stings at first, but then it's refreshing. Eustace has finally become a boy again. And not just that, he receives brand new clothes. He is who he's meant to be in all the fullness. Now, I can relate to Eustace. Eustace wanted healing from being a dragon, just like I wanted healing from being paralyzed. But the healing that I wanted didn't go deep enough. And the healing that Christ wanted pierced my very, very heart. And that's what I think this passage is pointing to, is that we may want healing to look a certain way, but the healing Christ wants, something we can all have, goes so far deeper. And this passage has been so important as I've walked through my healing process that, that Jesus wants to heal deeply. Because let's face it, not everyone gets healed. And let's face this more important uh, truth. That a person could get healed physically in a way they think they want. But if their heart, and I'll speak personally, if my heart is, is hard and dark and enslaved, what good is that healing anyway? What good is it? You see, when you're paralyzed, you desperately want to walk and you can become obsessed with that healing. And when you can only get that healing, you can miss the greater healing that is yours to have. The deeper healing. And it's a healing that Jesus Christ can give. Okay, the second group that we meet. There's an encounter with the scribes. The scribes, by the way, were basically the theologians of the day. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, maybe had it memorized. They were the ones that wrote um, out the Old Testament. And so if you had a question about the Old Testament, you would go to the scribes. It's kind of like modern-day Greek and Hebrew, Old Testament, New Testament scholars. I mean, these people knew the Bible better than anyone else knew it. And so they were sitting there, and they were questioning in their hearts. Now, I like to point this out. Now, I don't know about any of you, um, but I can't read your minds. I mean, Jesus didn't hear them say this. He actually read their heart. He can see your heart. He can read their minds. And so they were just thinking these things. They were thinking, why is he talking like this? He's blaspheming for who can forgive sins but God alone. And you know what? That is true. What the Bible teaches is that any time that we wrong someone or wrong ourselves, we are most fundamentally wronging God, not that other person. We're most fundamentally, and forgiveness is, is God's primarily. So what they were saying is absolutely true. However, you know, they couldn't quite put one and one together, right? Only God can forgive sins. Here's this amazing man forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins. They couldn't quite put it together. 
Well, at once Jesus understood what they were thinking, and he raised this question. He said, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, take your mat, and walk? That's a good question. Does anybody know the answer to that question? I mean, you could read a hundred commentaries, and there is no obvious answer to this question. However, I believe that Jesus is pointing uh, to something far deeper, a love that he has for those scribes that is far deeper. You know, what is easier, to, say, to heal someone or to forgive sins? And what, what this is pointing to is a foreshadow of what Jesus will go to the cross for us because he loves us that deeply. He dies on the cross for the forgiveness of, of the sins of all of the world, and that will be a much harder work. Much harder. And so even in this moment, we get a taste of his unstoppable love, even for the scribes who question him in their hearts. And then it says that, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, take up your mat, stand, and walk. But so that you may know. You see what's happening here is Jesus offers these scribes, he offers healing to our very heart. He offers healing for our hearts and our minds. And it's they, the scribes, that get this sign. You know, I would think he would reveal who he is to his closest friends. But look at this. He's revealing who he is to the people who are questioning in their hearts about him. That is ultimate love. That is grace, the grace of Christ, that he longs to heal our hearts and our minds. And here's my question. Do you think that the paralytic would have been physically healed if it weren't for the scribes? I mean, as a paralyzed man, I'm so thankful for the scribes right now. Because look, think about the story. They, they bring the paralyzed man to Jesus. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's it. That's it. If it weren't for the scribes. And so he gives the sign of who he is by healing the paralytic. Thank God for the scribes. Now, the third group that I want to take a look at with you is the friends of the paralytic. The friends. Now, this is an incredible story of bold faith. Some, so some people, they, they, these friends, came bringing to Jesus this paralyzed man. They were carried, four of them carried this man, but there were more friends who came along. Well, they could not bring him to Jesus because of all the crowds. Remember how incredible Jesus is as a teacher. So there's all these crowds. Now, what happens after this? I mean, the story could have gone like this. So, you know, they, they, you know, pick up the mat, they bring him to Jesus. It's completely crowded, and so they're like, oh, I can't get in. Well, okay, maybe next, next week. So let's take this guy back and, and put him, you know, where he was. Is that, that could have happened. Is that what happened? These friends will stop at nothing 
to bring him to Jesus Christ. If you remember, they say, well, the crowds aren't going to stop us. So they go to the roof and they dig out the roof and make a hole so that they could actually bring this paralyzed man down. Now, we know that roofs are different today than they were then. In the first century, there were kind of woods, wood that was crisscrossed, and they put stacked mud and grass. And, and in fact, I, I've actually seen one in Israel. There was grass growing out of the top, and there was a space where there was actually a hole in it. It's, you can understand how it's possible to dig out a hole in these roofs. Now, even though it's understandable, it's still amazing it was scandalous. I mean, can you imagine standing up and actually digging somebody's roof? Now that, you're not supposed to do that. Yet they would stop at nothing. Stop at nothing to bring this paralyzed man to the feet of Jesus. What does this mean? It means your faith can bring healing to somebody. Your faith can bring healing to someone. You can bring someone to Christ who can't bring themselves. And can I share how I've experienced this in my life through you? You see, when you're paralyzed, you can't move, and you need faithful friends. And you have been my faithful friends. You have carried me to Jesus Christ. And you've stopped at nothing to do it. Your bold faith inspired my healing. And I am sure that I would not be a walking miracle without you. So thanks for being the friends of this paralytic. Okay. We saw the encounter with the paralyzed man, encounter with the scribes and with the friends of the paralytic. And then we witnessed this miracle, right? He stands up, takes his mat, and he goes home. Incredible miracle of healing takes place. So then what happens after that? All these crowds, the scribes, they're all there. What happens after witnessing a miracle? What do they do? Do they leave thinking, oh, what should we have for lunch? <laughs> or what do they do? It says that they were all, even the scribes, they were all amazed. And when you experience the healing power of Jesus Christ, whether directly through his living spirit today, whether directly through his body, it is overwhelming. It's awesome. It's stunning. It's wonderful. It is amazing. And it says that they went off saying, we have never seen anything like this. And that's how I feel when I think of God's healing work through you. I have never seen anything like it. And it called all those people then, and it calls me, and it calls all of us today to respond in worship. That's the response. Worship. Immediately after my accident, my younger brother was the first on the scene. 
I knew that I was dying. So I asked my brother to tell Michelle and the boys that I love them. And the only thing that I could do, according to my brother, was to cry out and worship Jesus. Jesus. The one who is more amazing. The one who is more powerful than death itself. I think it's good for us then to respond in worship. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.